Well, good morning. Uh, This morning, if you would, please continue to pray for our middle school and high school kids. They're up at Fort Wilderness, finishing up their winter retreat. And you can pray for the youth leaders who want to choke out your children at this point of the weekend. So you can pray for them and pray that uh, the spiritual seeds that have been dropped, get, uh, they start uh, growing. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 today. Uh, you may wonder why Second King banners, but 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, when Sid is not preaching, Nathan and I have been tag-teaming through the book of 1 Peter. And this week and next, we will uh, conclude the book or the letter that he had written to these early churches. Well, I'm going to start off with this passage to encourage you in your, uh, in your spiritual walk, because you probably feel like you don't belong. Here it is. Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The Bible describes us as pilgrims, as travelers, people who don't belong. And again, I've said this before, but at base, we trust in Christ who we've never seen before. That at the base puts us on a course of life that's different than the rest of the world. And as a result, I'll be honest with you, uh, life is hard. Uh, Peter knew this, and so he commands us throughout the book to live holy and pure lives in a world that's very unholy and very unpure. He calls us to love each other deeply. And he actually calls us and commands us to submit to governing authorities. Now, I don't know about you, but living a holy, pure life, loving others deeply, and submitting to governing authorities is not an easy one. It never has been. But throughout the book, he offers a series of encouragements along the way to encourage people. He encourages this, don't think of your best life now, set your hope on what's to come, okay? He also challenges us to, on the way we think about ourselves, and so he tells his uh, audience that they are chosen, they're royal, they're holy in God's sight. He also makes the claim and the statement that Jesus Christ not only suffered and died for us and rose again as a payment for our sin, but he also set us an example that we should follow, so that when things get difficult... We, should know the save, we will know the Savior walked the road ahead of us. He made statements throughout the letter that the end is near, that we're going to have trials. Expect them. Don't be surprised by them. And pay attention to what's really going on inside and what those trials or tests reveal about what's inside. And then lastly, in chapter 5, we looked at last time I spoke, is God gave us in this difficult journey the relationship of the pastor-flock relationship, the church. We need each other. And God gave us parameters on how to relate to each other in a way that glorifies him. And so in light of Peter's acknowledgement that the Christian life is difficult, and in light of the fact that he's wrapping up his letter, this week and next we'll be reading the final words here, I have found that when people are going through difficult situations... They don't need it complicated. They need it very straightforward. Okay? And so today we're primarily just looking at two verses, keeping it very simple, very straightforward. And in fact, some of you, it might be a a breath of fresh air just to look at two verses and keeping it very straightforward. 
But essentially this, look at your outline, and it really comes down to four realities about God and how I respond to those realities. You can see it right there, one, two, three, four. These four realities we're going to see in the text today is that God is all-powerful, that God is in control, God can handle my problems, and God really does care for me. And so we're going to actually pick it up in verse 5 today, because 5 has huge implications on 6 and 7. Okay, Let me pray and just ask the Lord to help us understand this short passage or short section of this letter, and uh, to honor him as, we, as a result of today. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, would you help us to understand what you uh, intended through Peter for this audience, and then help us 2,000 years later, to apply it in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So after he gives the contact, or gives the directions for the pastor-flock relationship, he says in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. That's it for today, friends. And this is what really takes us to point number one. I want to encourage you guys to see that we see in verse 6 that God is all-powerful, and we're commanded to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Your translations say, humble yourself, therefore... And the phrase, therefore, essentially means as a result of what you just read. Now, just glance back at the end of verse 5, and it says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the implication for you and me, if we want to be on God's right side, is what? Be humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Peter assumes then that this is what his audience needs to hear, and he says in verse verse 6, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Now, we all intuitively know when we're in the presence of a humble person. We do. We know that a humble person doesn't pump themselves up and talk about themselves all the time. We know that. Um, I, I wish our politicians and our sports stars and even pastors today would understand that, right? That humility is not talking about yourself. Humility is also not talking down about yourself, making others awkward. Humility is not easily offended. But when a person embraces humility, this posture, they place their desires, their feelings, they place their thoughts under the priority of the other person in front of them. And doing that with people is very difficult, and here's why. I'm just kind of a realist here. If I humble myself under you all, you all are sinners. And it can be painful, and it's very risky to humble myself under you all. But notice what the text says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So humbling myself under God would be certainly easier, wouldn't it? You would think God doesn't sin, right? He's the one that made all things. You would think it would be easy, 
But it really is difficult letting God be God. So what's it look like practically to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? And why is it so difficult? Um, If you're familiar with our salt material that we oftentimes will share and disciple people around here with, um, this is the very first lesson. I just want to give you a few snippets from it. But essentially this, Scripture summarizes, uh, there are three basic rights of God that pop out of Scripture as we look at it. And so I want to encourage you, this is really areas in our Christian life that really help us understand if we're letting or submitting ourselves or humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. The first one is this. God has the right to judge. He is the judge of others and even our unjust situations. James 4 says that this, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And we take the place of judge when we don't think things are moving fast enough. Usually it's the timing of things. If we sense that somebody's going to take it up and run with the baton of judging, then we're good with it. But when it's not moving fast enough, we typically slide into this place that God, only God has the right. And I encourage you, if you've got a pen, feel free to write these down as well. Another area that are, that are one of areas of God's rightful place is the power to control. We'll see this in Daniel 4, but he alone has the power to control circumstances and people and even our own health. And I would argue that all we have with all this desire to control is just the illusion of control. Again, this is what we call securities or social security or you name it, the things we put in our life that give us the illusion of control. Daniel 4 says all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? Now we seek to control when we feel out of control. Good company, anybody? All right, there's three of you in the house that seek to control and the rest of you guys are perfectly sitting back. But when we start doing this, we start doubting that God's really in the control seat, the driver's seat. And I personally have watched so many Christians lose so much joy in the last 24 months trying to control their own health, control other people's choices, control the government, control the school, just honestly control their coworkers, their bosses. I've just watched so many of us lose what God intended for us when we try to take up God's rightful place in this area of control. So God is the right to judge. He deserves, uh, has the power to control. And lastly, we see that God deserves all praise because he created all things. He's got the copyright on all things, and he deserves it. Revelation 4 says, You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, for you created all things, and power, and you created all things, and they exist because you created them, uh, what you pleased. Now, when we don't believe what God says about us, we start looking for praise and approval from other people. And uh, friends, again, just to encourage you that these are God's exclusive rights. These are what it means to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And really, Scripture calls us to release these rights and allow God to dominate these rights over us. James 4 he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Micah 6.8, he's shown you, O mortal, what's good and what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So as if Peter is saying, in light of the earthly trouble that you're facing, in light of the problems that are in your life, in light of the issues that you're internalizing in this world, he says, stop focusing on fixing you and start lifting your gaze towards the mighty hand of God. And I have watched many who have landed here and they've had to come to a resting place that on this planet, they have no control over fixing injustices or difficulties or broken issues in their life. There's a sign of of resorting to trusting God's sovereign hand. Now he says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And what exactly is he talking about his mighty hand? Again, my own children know this, but growing up, my dad was, always wrestled us down to the ground, and always, I always felt his mighty hand. And for some reason in our house, my kids have also experienced that, except my kids' mighty hands are growing. And uh, this last week, I was on my way out the door, and Anya's like, what in the world's going on? And our 14-year-old had wrestled me to the ground in the, our entryway, literally as we're trying to put on shoes. And so now my mighty hand is no longer a mighty hand when you've got beasts living in the house, right? But there are kings throughout history of the world who have been described as mighty. And the scripture describes it this way of the king of Egypt, Exodus 3 and 19 and 20. God says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. Maybe perhaps you've read in Proverbs, Proverbs 21. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. So friends, when we talk about humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, we're talking about our God who created this world, who established from Psalm 139 the day we'd be born, the course of our life, and the day we take our last breath. It really is Romans 8 that I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor power, nor principalities will ever separate us from, anybody know it? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So this mighty hand is something that has to be acknowledged. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, I'm going to show you two, two more passages talking about this mighty hand. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were standing before the Sanhedrin. And they were ready to throw them into the, the prison, and they were ready to just remove them off the scene. And a, honestly, a fairly wise man, Gamaliel, who's also the Apostle Paul's teacher as well, he spoke up and he said this. He encouraged them and he says, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourself only fighting against God. He acknowledged it. There was a sense of, even if these guys get out of control, and we can't control them, you understand that if these guys are truly of God, there's nothing you're going to do about this. The Apostle Paul even acknowledged this in his own personal struggles We don't even know what that struggle was, according to the text in in 2 Corinthians 12. But this is what he says in verse 7. As he pleads with the Lord, the sovereign hand of the Lord, he says, In order to keep me from being conceited, as given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you see, throughout the whole of Scripture, and Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 5, is calling his audience not to fight the sovereign hand of God, when it meant being led through trials or difficulties or suffering. Because I think Peter knew this, and I know this is a reality. When we're going through difficulties, we immediately look for somebody to blame. And it's almost as if when we can find somebody that intended us harm, we somehow start to believe this. We would never say this, but we start to believe that God was somehow on vacation with his sovereign hand. And this is where people have to land and where we have to land today. That whatever I'm facing, it first came through the loving hand of God. Whatever I'm facing. The marriage issue that you're facing. The health issue. The job issue. The personal internal issue. What I am facing, God has allowed in my life. So am I humbling myself under God's mighty hand? And how would I know? Uh, Victorious Christian Living actually poses a quick quiz, and so I love giving quizzes. You don't have to answer this out loud. You can just kind of just follow along with these questions. And again, if it's a yes, just make a mental check yes. But I want to encourage you just to walk through this. It's a good indicator of whether or not you're humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Does it bother you when things don't go as planned? You can answer that to yourself, right? Do you try to change your kids, spouse, family, or coworkers through control or manipulation? Do they, would they say you try to do that, right? How about this one? You get impatient when people don't do things right. Are you looking for approval or thanks from a boss or friend? And this is how you know. When you don't get it, how do you feel? You have trouble asking for help. I don't. Move on. Does bad service upset you or put you on edge? I'll tell you what. Anya and I, on Friday night, uh, we were, went into Texas Roadhouse because, you know, with, with four kids gone, we could pretty much afford anything. It's shocking. And she doesn't eat anything. So we went into Texas Roadhouse, and I could just see the stress on people's face. Not the people eating, all the workers. I mean, they couldn't hide it. It was dripping off their face. And I said, are you okay? I said, everybody treating you okay? And she paused. And I said, hey, we're fundamentally happy. Four of our kids are being taken care of, and we're being fed tonight. So you guys can't go wrong. Just relax. We're under no time pressure. You could just see this, like, and she said, well, everybody, everybody's more stressed these days, getting out of work on Friday, and they just want to go and have it exactly how they want it. And I just thought, how sad. I hope you all, as followers of the king, can export peace when you go into environments like that. Does it bother you when you get bad service or put you on edge? Do you try to keep certain people happy? On that treadmill of trying to keep those people happy. 
Do you reject or avoid people who mistreat you? And lastly, does it bother you when you're not in control? So any of these areas that you said yes or like there was a little bit of a kind of a maybe sort of in certain circumstances, these are areas that we are trying actually to hijack God's rightful place as sovereign. That is the opposite of humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Friends, it starts with this. We have to acknowledge it as sin and confess that to the Lord. And we have to start asking him for help to sustain us in these difficult times. There's two kind of word pictures that I like to think that this is what God's calling us. God's calling us to palms up living And just notice this, again, every time you find yourself in circumstances and processing things, an open palm is a very different posture than a closed palm. For all you dog lovers, I call it belly-up living. The greatest joy is when you own a dog and they trust you to a point of what? There's something about it. And these are the type of seekers, friends, God is working in our life, working in trials, so that we have a palms-up, belly-up approach to his sovereign control. So, friends, I want to encourage you with this. Don't waste a trial. Trials expose things about your internal trust of the Lord. Don't waste it. What's it saying about your journey and what, where you're at spiritually? Point number two, point number one, God's in control We're called to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Point number two is this. God's in control. Believe that he will lift you up in his perfect timing. The text says that he may lift or exalt you up in due time. That seems to be the result of of suffering as a traveler of the king. And according to scripture here, who's the one that lifts us up? God's the one that lifts us up. Why do we spend so much time? scheming and planning and working and toiling and saving to prop ourselves up and get ahead? Why do we spend so much time in anxiety trying to just edge out things? When he says his timing, he'll lift you up in due time. Now, two passages I want to share with you. And uh, this is just interesting. This kind of describes the human nature of how we try to maneuver ourselves in situations. But Jesus told this parable in Luke 14. He says, when he noticed that, uh, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, where do you sit? <clears throat> do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give the person that seat. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. In other words, what are you doing out here? Then you'll be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. uh, James and John also had this same issue in Mark 10, where they asked Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom worrying about the future, can we sit to your right and left? Again, these are just, this is us. This is us worried about the due time 
about when we're going to be exalted and how. This is us not trusting God for this really difficult thing we're going through, and so we want it done now. Due time implies there's a season for everything, and that's what Ecclesiastes says. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And I want to say this very gently, that you might be in a season that seems like it's never going to end. You might be going through personal internal turmoil that feels like you're under a billion pounds of weight. I believe what this text is saying in due time is that there is a day and time on God's calendar because he's all sovereign that he will lift you up as you submit or humble yourself under his mighty hand. I believe that all those who have found rest in this and comfort in the fact that in due time he will lift you up, they've come to the landing place of Isaiah and Job. He says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And in Job Job 1, as Job experienced the loss of all his family and all his wealth, And even to a point in the later on in the end of the book, he actually gets it all back. Well, you don't get your kids back, but a new set of kids. He says, naked I came into the world in Job 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So how do you land there after losing everything? You believe God has a perfect timing. Again, I don't bring this up lightly, but let's just acknowledge the fact that our entire Christian life is trusting God for what we cannot see, right? We're trusting in him, Jesus. We've never seen him. So as we go on to verse 7, we're going to see in the next point that God can handle my problems. We are called to obey his command to cast anxieties on him instead of hanging on to them. Verse 7, he says, uh, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, anxiety is a dash light that often comes on when we cease to humble ourselves under his sovereign hand. And uh, is the anxiety dash light on? Has it been on for a long time? Have you resorted to the idea that I'm going to just live the rest of my life with the dash light on? Again, some of us... are perfectly fine with dash lights. I am not. They bother me. Anybody else in the house that that bothers? I get in somebody's car and I'm like, you know your dash light's on, right? And again, there's certain dash lights you can forget about. I've learned that you can actually ignore kind of a check engine. It's just emissions. I'm joking. Um, but if you, some of your cars actually have this, some don't. But if you see an actual, like, an oil can, you should stop and pull over immediately, right? You know that. Low oil, okay? Temperature light, you should check that one, like, immediately pull over. Let it cool down. But in our lives, God gives us these dash lights. One of them is anxiety. And I don't believe God has any desire for us to hold on to our anxieties And the first step to ridding ourselves of these anxieties, and I say this, I'm acknowledging a significant portion of the family in this room is dealing with 
high levels of anxiety. You might think you're the only one, but we're aware that a good percentage of us in this room are dealing with them. So I say this very gently, but the first steps to actually addressing our anxieties is humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, letting him judge, control, and seek praise, or deserves praise. But when we address the root cause, we start casting. That's what we do. That's what it says. Cast your anxieties on him, and we cast off him. Now, <clears throat> any of you who know me well, I love fishing. And um, one thing that I have noticed about people who fish a lot, they catch a lot. Right? Okay. And when my boys and I go fishing, I cast a lot more than they do. They frequently, they're not even here so they can even argue this. This is wonderful. <clears throat> but you ask them the next couple weeks, I frequently catch more fish than they do. And they make jokes in the boat about, Dad, you must live right. Even my own brother frequently makes jokes about how I catch more fish than he does, right? Aren't we talking about humility? I'm joking. All right. <clears throat> and <clears throat> and uh, they ask, Dad, why do you catch more fish? And they even make the joke about, oh, does God like you more? And uh, I've made some observations through the years. It's not rocket science. Here it is. They spend more time getting knots out and changing lures, and I spend more time casting. There was a number of times I've gone fishing with them, and I can guesstimate I do about double the amount of casting with my lure than they do. It's just that simple. I cast more, I catch more. In the Christian life, you might be tempted to think others don't deal with anxieties like I do. Maybe. Or maybe they spend more time casting. Maybe they spend more time casting their anxieties on the Lord, and they perhaps deal with more anxiety than you do. Perhaps our freedom from anxiety, or as the text says, the cast your cares of this life, is directly linked with the amount of casting that we do. Psalm 55, 2 says, Cast your cares in the Lord and he'll sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Casting has the picture of throwing something on something. It's what the disciples did in Luke 19 as they went and got the colt for Jesus as they were preparing for uh, the Passover. And they went and got the colt and it says they threw their coats on it so the Savior could ride on it. And then as the people, as he was riding into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and people were saying, Hosanna, what were they doing with the coats? They were casting them down, right? So this idea of casting is actually throwing something on something. And I want to encourage you, as you consider possible anxiety that you face, maybe pain you're going through, suffering you're going through, trials you're dealing with, or discontentments in life. Texas saying we're to cast our cares upon the Lord who knows exactly what's going on. And in faith, we trust that he knows what he's doing in our lives. Now you say, Seth, I have been praying a lot. And I've been casting a lot with, with, with what seems like forever. And I still am experiencing no more freedom in this area of anxiety. I want to take you to a passage Again, you guys can just look it up here and I'll show it to you. 
It's probably one of the most common known passages that I have heard encourage people to go to. How many of you all have come to this passage for a source of encouragement throughout some time in your life? Let's put them up up high. So look around the room, okay? Very, very common. And so this is kind of the go-to answer. I have anxiety. Let's go to Philippians 4, 6 through, 6 through 8, right? Let's read. I'm going to read to you. It says this, be, do not be anxious about anything. So there's the command to not have anxiety. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends or goes beyond all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there we have in verses 6 and 7 that we are to thank God for what we're struggling with and then pray to him asking for help and humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. Lord, I pray that you'd help me with this. I pray that you would relieve me of this. But why do we stop there in the text? Anybody know what the next verses are? There's two more things in this journey of casting our anxieties upon him. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So, yes, thank God for our struggle. Yes, pray to him. But there's two other things that he's calling us to do. We've got a bucket. It's called our life. And we can only fit so much into it. And we have a responsibility of what goes into that bucket. And so we start dropping these stones into the bucket. And he says, the stone of thanking God goes into the bucket. The stone of praying to God goes into the bucket. The stone of thinking on whatever is lovely and praiseworthy goes into the bucket. And then obedience to the truth that we know in God's word. I mean this very gently to you all. You know I love you all. I have come across so many a church family that are thanking God and praying, but they're binging on crud on TV. And they're still dealing with anxieties. They're binging on any form of screen phone. They're binging on what other people think. And he says, think about things that are praiseworthy. You have control of what you put in front of your face. Would I be depressed if I looked at what you put your eyes on? Number two. Or number four, the last thing there, he says, put into practice the things. In other words, obey what the word says. Usually when we're going through significant inner turmoil, we want to avoid each other. As a pastor, the number one way that I see us disobeying the word and it's not casting our anxieties is that we start to avoid the fellowship of believers. I don't want to be in that ABF room when somebody's going to ask me how I'm doing. I don't want to go to church, especially open door. You all talk to each other. It's hard to get in here and get out and be unknown. It really is kind of hard. 
especially by those pesky pastors. They're always asking us, right? Friends, casting our anxiety, yes, involves thank you, Lord, for the struggle that I have. Lord, I pray and ask you to help me. But it also involves a responsibility of filling our minds and our eyes with things that are praiseworthy. And it also requires that we take steps forward in obedience of the things in the word that we know to be true. So thank God, yes. Pray to him, yes. Think on praiseworthy things and obey him. You can see that right in your outline. So casting involves all four of those things. And when another anxiety light pops on, you go back into those four things. And I want to encourage you, if you do those four things and then another light pops on, the enemy would love for you to feel like a spiritual loser and feel like you failed. It's not true. The win is going back to thank you, Lord. Lord, I trust you. Lord, help me to fill my mind with things that are praiseworthy and help me to walk in obedience. And then another dash light pops on. Boy, I feel like a failure. No, you're not. This is the normal Christian life, the struggles we go through. So don't ever believe the lie that somehow you're a failure when you're engaged in what God's called as the, as the path for the Christian of cast our anxieties on him, knowing they would come up. So again, there's a lie to believe that says, well, then somehow if I just do this once or twice or three times or ten times, I'll be forever cured. No, it's actually, as we live in this life with broken lives and broken world and broken bodies, we are going to be dealing with anxieties, and the call is to continuously cast our cares upon the Lord. Now, we're going to take it home here. Why should we cast or toss our anxieties upon him? So final point here, God really does care. Despite what I see or whatever I feel, the fact of the matter is God does really care. It is very hard to find people in this world who care. If you don't sense that somebody cares, you're not going to share your heart with them. We all know that to be true. We knew that from elementary school. If somebody doesn't care, if somebody's not safe, we're not sharing anything with them. There are some of you in the context of the church family that are clammed up. You've been hurt. I want to encourage you not to take those hurts from other sinful people and project those on the Lord. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And how do you prove that you care? Cost. That's how you prove you care. Cost of your time. Cost of your own personal energy. Or cost of your resources. But that's how we prove that we care, right? Would you all agree with me there? Okay. How did God prove he cares? 1 John 4.14, the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. How do you prove you care? You give up your own child for somebody else? And when he came into the world, he says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So friends, even if the world is sending the opposite message, and even if your feelings are saying something else, God really cares. And I started my time here sharing with you from Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And I want you to flip back to chapter 1 and verse 6. And this is what Peter is commending his audience for and what I want to commend you all for. Summed up simply... Because, again, we need it simple. He says this in chapter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trial. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So those struggles that you're facing, it's actually working out the genuineness and the solidness of your faith. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, that is the salvation of your souls. So again, I want to just, just curb it together this way, guys. Hear a gentle heart. This is not beating you up if you're struggling with submitting to God. This is not a, a hard voice to beat you up if you struggle with anxieties. But what we believe about God will dictate the choices we make in this difficult journey of life. Look back at the outline with me. Do you believe God is all-powerful? Do you believe that he's in control? In control of timing. Do you believe God can handle your problems? The proof of that personal belief is the amount of casting you do. And lastly, and this is actually probably one of the most important parts of this, is do you really believe that God cares? Peter summarized it up pretty simply. It's going to be crucial for us to understand this because next week we're going to see the nature of Satan and how he seeks to destroy us. But friends, this is the basics. It goes back to this. And I want to encourage you this week, just as a quick action step, if you look at verses 6 and 7, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he will lift you up in due time Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Can you memorize that? Like, let's just, like, do a mass, wide-scale, intentional memorization of two simple little verses. Write them on, the, on a sticky note. Put them on the fridge. Put them on the glass of your, uh, the vanity above your bathroom sink. Write it there. And I think that as we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, trust his timing cast our anxieties, and believe that he cares, then we're ready for the spiritual battle that does come that we'll see next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks so much. Thank you so much for speaking these words through Peter. Thank you 
for summar summarizing it up in ways that we can understand. Lord, I pray for my friends here, this church family. Lord, there's so many ways that we can latch on to anxiety and we can just cope with it and let the light da dash light be on. Lord, please reveal to us this week as we memorize this scripture areas that we're not humbling ourselves under your mighty hand. Lord, help us by your strength to confess that is sin. Help us to find a, a resting place knowing that everything we've faced has come through you or been allowed by you. Lord, I pray that there would be a whole lot of casting going on this week and that there would be dash lights popping off as we cast our anxieties upon you. Help us right down to the core of our stomachs. Believe that you really do care for us. Even though we are wounded and go through difficulties in this life with others. Lord, we are in a spiritual battle. May we be aware of that. Um, but most importantly, Lord, you fortify us with the fact that you do care. And so we're thankful for your word. We thank you for the, the comfort it brings in our lives. And... Um, Please help us to find the joy that comes from living under your sovereign hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.